This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. And what I wanted to speak to you about is, um, we, we're still touching on an, um, a different aspect of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And um, in the interest of time, I don't want to reread that. You can go and read it for yourself. Um, but what's important about it is, if you read the passage, what you discover is that Jesus finds himself in a place where his a reality that's confronting him is a tough space, situation that he's got to move into. And what I want to underscore in that is that in that reality and, and what he's facing, what he does is he goes into the garden and his intention is to meet with God. And three times he goes off to pray. Basically, what he's saying is, okay, excuse me a minute. I've got to go and meet with God. I've got to go and meet with God. We're going to go on a little bit of a journey, so just stick with me because it's like it's like when I go home. Sometimes I don't like to go on 66 because it's quick and it's fast, but it's so boring. So I have to take the back roads, which is much more fun. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament is actually written by, they estimate between like 35 and 40 people. Um, and it's... It's not a, it's a collection of different authors. And the reason I don't say that it's, it's a, a precise number is because there's certain books that they're not actually sure who authored that particular book. But they're estimating between like 35 and 40. And what's interesting about it is the Old Testament is a collection of writings from people who've had encounters with God. The whole of the Old Testament is all about writings that testify of him. David was a great author and he wrote down and he spoke about his love for God and how from a young boy he had actually encountered God and he had met with God and how he had spent his life journeying with God and what God meant to him and how he had discovered how to live in an intimate space with God and how that had opened opportunities for him and to find a future for him and a purpose for his life, something that he had never imagined starting off as a little shepherd boy. We have Moses who thought that he was born into something much bigger than then what was possible then discovered he had such a dissonance between himself and runs off and he hides in the desert and then he, he meets God in a burning bush that isn't being consumed and then God says I'll tell you what you know what I've got something great for you to do and he writes about his exploits and he writes about crossing us the Red Sea I mean he gets to cross the Red Sea he writes about all of his interactions and his times and his of intimacy with God he went and he met with God and he said to God can I see you and God says, well, you can't see my face, but you can see the backside of me. He saw God. You have Solomon with all of his wisdom speaking about what God did to him and what God did for him and how God gave him supernatural insight. They were living out of relationship and, and, and having encounters with God on an ongoing basis. And all of these collections of things cumulatively form like the foundation to the Old Testament, what would be referred to as the Torah. And it began to formulate and put in place something which became the foundation to what man began to discover about God. I began to read about what happened to Moses and what happened to David and, what, and Solomon's interaction and Jeremiah. And I read about all of these people and what had happened. And cumulatively, I could read between the lines with all of these people. And I started to formulate a picture as to who God was and what he was all about and how things came into being and what his purpose and what his plan was. I began to discover, hold on, who am I? 
as a man. What is man about? And I've got ideas about it, but if I go back to God's dealing with people and how we were created, I start to formulate an idea about what man is all about. The writings begin to speak to us about how God wants to be a part of our life. And it begins to form a structure as to how we are to worship him and how he's looking for a dwelling place to come and to live amongst us. And in the Old Testament, it speaks about how they can create that space. And he says, you know, if if you can create this, I'll come and I'll live with you and I'll be with you. He told them what to do so that they could walk into a place where out of worship for him, they could have a more meaningful interaction with him. All of these things were so important because it started to formulate and devise an understanding of the world that existed between God and man. Nobody knew this better than the Pharisees. The Pharisees knew this better than anybody. The Pharisees spent their time studying. They knew the Old Testament better than anybody else. They knew the writings of each person. They knew what they had discovered. They knew what God had put in place. They understood the covenants that existed. They knew the rules that he had given us. They understood the commandments. They knew what we were to do in order to present ourselves as holy to God. They knew that we weren't capable of doing it and that sacrifice was was required. They knew that the Old Testament promised something about the Messiah that would be coming. And when the Messiah came, everything would be different. The fulfillment of everything that God had promised would be transformed and would become new, would become different. And so they were living in the expectation and the anticipation of the Messiah. Nobody knew the Old Testament better than the Pharisees. They studied the word. They studied the writings. They studied those things that testified of God. The problem with it was they were so wrapped up in the word of God that they completely missed the revelation of God. The people who knew the Old Testament better than anybody, who knew what it was about, who understood God from that context, who knew how we were to worship God and what it meant, who understood that there was a future and a hope in God, that were living in expectation and in the anticipation of the Messiah coming were the very ones who missed him. And it was the world who recognized him. What a shock. What a shock. It was interesting for me because it made me realize that we all think we're not capable of being deceived. But we are. The whole point of deception is you don't know you're being deceived. The problem with it is that you can be engaged in it and not even know it. It's so important for us to understand what God is doing and how he's working. And it's so important for us to be at a place where we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and in our hearts. All of us have been taught stuff. Some of it's been good, some of it hasn't. Some of it's been right, some of it's been wrong, some of it has been good, but incomplete. Remember, your journey is to take you from glory to glory. What people present to you, and that includes me, is for you to take to the Holy Spirit 
and you go and spend time with him. Please go and check it out for yourself. It's really important, not only from me, but from other people, because that's where you'll grow. Hear what people say, and if a challenge is a side to you, if a challenge is something that perhaps has been a part of who you are and that's defined your Christianity, go to the Holy Spirit and say, talk to me about this. Whatever you do, don't end up with a sacred cow. There are too many Christians who have sacred cows. You know what a sacred cow is? I was taught this. I believe it. This is right. This is the way it's going to be, and I'm inflexible on it. You've just cut the Holy Spirit out from taking you from glory to glory. This is where I am. This is what I know. And there is no plan B. It may be 100% right where you are. But you don't have full understanding or revelation of it. And if you humble yourself and say, Holy Spirit, you know what? Take me from where I am because I want to go somewhere deeper with you. You open the door for him to be able to do something in your life and in your relationship with him, which will change things. We need change in the body more than ever. We think we know everything and we think we know so much. And we are very, very entrenched in our theology that we don't really want to move. And so what I want to do today is I want to explore some stuff and hopefully what it'll do is it'll challenge you to examine some things and to consider some stuff. And as I say, you take it to the Holy Spirit and between you and him, I promise you'll come up with a great solution. They didn't recognize him. What a shock. What a shock. You see, we can have the written words of God and never encounter the living word. We can have the laws and the rules and the understanding and the knowledge, but we never ever have the life. The challenge with it is, very often in that place, what ends up happening is we feed our knowledge at the expense of grace. You know what it means? It means it makes for religious people. And you know why religious people are bitter? Because Christian life is not fair. Religious people work, they're well-intentioned. But you know it's done. They've taken the things of God, and rather than walking out of relationship with him, they've moved to a place where they're trying to apply it independently. And so I'm doing this stuff because I want to be a good person. It's a good aspiration. I want to be a holy person. I want to be a person who's righteous. I want to be a, I'm walking into all of these kinds of things, but I'm trying to do it to the exclusion of him. And what it means is it's a lot of work. Because I have to sacrifice a lot of stuff and I'm working really hard at not doing a lot of things and I'm working really hard and diligent because I want to be a person who's knowledgeable and so I'm studying really hard and I'm getting into all of this stuff and the problem with it is I have Joe Soap over here who comes in and gets born again and realizes who God is and moves into the grace of God and his life is flourishing and mine's not and life's not fair. Doesn't God see how hard I've been working? We don't always say that because it doesn't sound right. But the truth is we think it. Grace is not fair. Grace is not fair. 
You know why? Because grace says it's all about him, not about you. And so you chose to take the road of self-application. And at any point you can get off that road. He says, come join me. Step over into grace. But when we step into grace, we begin to realize that we can realize and, and experience the fullness of who he is outside of me trying to do a whole bunch of stuff. That really doesn't make me feel much better. The problem with that place is I feel void because I always want to know where God is. Where is God? I'm good. I feel like I'm good, but I don't know where God is. It's easy to feel like that because I'm involved in self-application. In self-application, he's back there. I journeyed without him. So, Jesus. Jesus knew the words of God. Jesus knew the words that testified of God from an early age. He talks about the fact that when he was 12 years old, his parents took him. And they went off and they went and they were going to, um, it's a whole long story. The point is this, they got him to the temple. And the fact is he went off into the temple and started spending time there with the scribes and the Pharisees and and all the, the religious rulers and leaders of the day. And he's sitting with them. And so his parents kind of journeyed on, who journeys on three days without your kids? I don't know. But anyway, they come back and they find him. And you know what happens? Everybody that, that he's with, and these are not your average Joe So people. These are the informed people of the day. These are the spiritual hierarchy. And you know what they had to say? Oh, this is amazing how much this kid knows. I'm surprised at the kind of understanding he has of the words that testify of God. 12 years of age. He knew the words that testified of God. He knew the Old Testament. So much so that they were surprised. But you don't hear of anything happening in his life, as far as the miracles go. Twelve years old. The next time we, we really get into the story of Jesus is he's on his way down and he's going to get baptized by John the Baptist. And he's journeying along and he gets to John the Baptist and John the Baptist says, okay, blah, blah, blah. And they have a whole big discussion about whether he should get baptized or not. But then John baptizes him. And the minute that he comes up out of the water, what happens? The spirit fell upon him. The spirit fell upon him. He leaves there, goes into the wilderness and shortly after that goes off into the temple. Into the temple. And he asks for the book. Bring me the words of God. And he opens it up and he begins to read from Isaiah 61. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 17, he says, The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord. Have you got it up there? 
verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Today the scripture, sorry, verse 17. Uh, 18. Oh, let me get it for you. I'll read it to you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He has anointed me. And then he goes into all kinds of things that what he's anointed him for. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. What happened in that moment? He was a person who knew the words of God. But the moment he came out of the water and the Spirit fell on him, all of a sudden something happened. And he said, the Spirit is upon me. And his anointing is with me. Suddenly he moved to a place where he was living in relationship with the Spirit of God. And when he was living in a relationship with the Spirit of God, he was in the place where he was sitting saying, all of a sudden, I'm at the space where I'm about to move into the fullness of what God has prepared for me. Everything that he has set aside for me to do, everything that he has called me to do is about to take place in this very moment. Why? Because the Spirit is upon me and has anointed me. It was the Spirit and his anointing that did it. Up until that point, he knew the words of the Lord, but he never had the spirit and the power. The fulfillment of your Christianity is going to be discovered beyond yourself. The fulfillment of your Christianity is going to be discovered beyond yourself. Anything that you can do, I don't need him to do. Anything I can perform, I don't need him to perform. But when you move to a place where you recognize the greater one lives inside me and greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world, all of a sudden things begin to shift and things begin to change because now it's not just a case that I'm walking around knowing the words of God. All of a sudden I recognize that the Spirit is within me and He has anointed me to go out and preach the gospel to the poor. He's provided everything necessary for me to walk into the plans and the purposes of my life. Hello? We can never journey into our future outside of God. Why? Because what he's called you to do, what he's called you to be, he will fulfill. Don't get stuck in looking at yourself. Too many Christians are stuck trying to fix everything about me. It's a dangerous spiral. Because what ends up happening is I forget destiny and I become self-consumed. I start looking at me and it's all about me and what about that and how do I fix this and how do I change that and, and, and I mean, I'm not saying God isn't interested in you what I'm saying to you is this get on the journey and while you're on the journey he'll highlight some things that need some attention there are too many Christians who are stuck sitting saying God fix this God change that God make me better God make it's not that he doesn't want to do that but I've lost sight of destiny go into all the world and preach the gospel yeah. 
Go into all the world and preach the good news. Why? Because the great one lives on the inside of me. The spirit of God is within me and he has anointed me to do some stuff for him. As long as I'm wrapped up in me, I've forgotten about the journey. Our world needs journeymen, not people who are sitting in the pit stop looking at themselves. Get out there and do something. Why? Because I want to experience him. As you journeying with him, don't worry. I can promise you, life is going to throw some stuff in your face and you're suddenly going to go, why? Why did I handle that like that? Whoa, what did that expose on the inside of me? Whoa, I didn't see that before. What's happening? He's just sitting saying, listen, while we're on our way, let's just fix the plane in flight. Come to me and let me do some stuff in you. What is he wanting to do? Introduce you to the fruit of the spirit. What he's saying is, let me show you who I am. You don't have to be that miserable wretch anymore. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to be upset. You don't have to be a person who's anxious. You don't have to be, and you're never going to gain that stuff by sitting saying, give it to me and let me run with it. We do it when we sit and say, I'm journeying because the spirit of the Lord is within me. And he has anointed me to walk into something I couldn't walk into before. Suddenly the spirit of the Lord on the inside of me becomes so important. I'm deviating a whole bunch of stuff, but anyway. The point is this. We think we have to do a whole bunch of stuff. He never called you to do anything but be humble. The moment I come to the place where I recognize I can do nothing, he says, you're in such a good place because my power is perfected in weakness. Been waiting for you to get here. We want to do all of this stuff. Oh, geez, help me, Lord. What was I talking about? Um, sorry, I've got to get back on track because I'm going to run out of time and I really want to cover some of this stuff. Um, today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Verse 21. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Do you know what it's saying? Everything that God has promised, the goodness of God, the promises of God, everything that God has available to us, everything that God is, is fulfilled in Christ. What he was saying was, everything that you read in the words of Christ, everything that you read that testify of him is fulfilled in Christ. If you're reading something in the Bible that gets you excited, that's exactly what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to take you and sit and it's an advertisement for who he is. And the advertisement, when I was in advertising, we used to do this. So you always have to have a key differentiator. What separates your product from everybody else's? Then you take it and you highlight that in, in, in the promotion. And what you do is then you put all the supporting evidence underneath it as to why that is valid and why you should consider it. But the advertising is designed to go out there to have impact, to touch people who are sitting saying, I have a need in that area and that resonates with me. The advertising is there to communicate all the benefits that are available to the product. But the advertising isn't the product. What it's saying is go and get it. They make money off it. With grace, it comes for free. The words that testify of him are the advertisement on the page. And they're talking to us all the time about who he is and how good he is and how much he loves you and how he's prepared a plan for your life and how he's walking us into that. And he's saying, will you come to me to realize it? So. 
the Bible has three different expressions for the word, word. Like most things, it's really important for us to begin to understand what each of, one, what each of those are and what their role is. Each of them is very important, and God has created each one intentionally with a reason. So they all need to exist. In other words, if I'm living off one and the other two are not, or are absent from my walk with God, I'm going to be unbalanced. So people who work from one side of it and exclude the rest end up being very religious. And people who exclude that and try to walk from another dimension of the word can end up all flaky and all over the place. We've got to have everything. He gave us everything. The thing about it is this. Although we have three expressions of the word, word, each of them has a particular function that we need to understand. It's like I've got a toolbox. In my toolbox, I have a hammer and I have a screwdriver and I have a wrench. All of them are tools, but they're different expressions of a tool. And so I need to understand what each one is for, because when I try to use a screwdriver to hammer in a nail, it doesn't really work particularly well. So what I'm doing is I recognize I have a tool, I'm just misusing it. So that's the context in which I want to go into this and I want to speak about it. It's really important because I, I had my eyes opened about some things. And anyway, let's just kind of journey into that a little bit. The first thing that I want to talk about is Logos. We hear a lot about Logos and Rhema. Basically, the three words and the three expressions of word are this. The Logos, the Rhema, and the written words of God. When you talk about the Logos, I think it's really important if we really want to understand what that's all about, that we go to the Bible. I think that's probably a good starting place. Probably a good ending place as well. John chapter 1. And I'm going to verse, read from verses 1 to 3. It says, In the beginning was the Word. Now, that expression of word is the word Logos. Logos. Okay. So we're talking Logos here. Okay. Here we go. In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God. And the Logos was God. And he was with God in the beginning. Through the Logos, all things were made. And without him was nothing made that has been made. You know what the Logos is? The Logos is the living word of God. The Logos, in a nutshell, is Jesus. Go read it. The Logos is Jesus. The Logos is the word of God that is responsible for all of creation and for sustaining all of creation. I want to read you two other scriptures that just support this. The one is Colossians 1, verses 17, uh, 15, to 17, 15 to 17. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He's talking about revelation now. 
He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, king, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. One other verse, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. The sun is the radiance and the only expression of the glory of our awesome God, reflecting God's Shekinah glory, the light being the brilliant light of the divine and the exact representation and perfect imprint of his Father's essence, upholding and upholding and maintaining and propelling all things, the entire physical and spiritual universe by his powerful word, carrying the universe along, to its predetermined goal. Oh, that's quite amazing. Do you know what it's saying? It's saying the Logos is the God force that is responsible for all of creation. And everything that was created came out of the Logos. What it's saying is when Jesus' Jesus's words are powerful, and full of life. And they are not only things that are responsible for the creation of everything, but are what are responsible for sustaining everything. Wow. He is the creator, he is the order, and he is the sustainer of the universe. Everything that you can see, everything you can imagine, everything that forms part of creation, he is not only the one who created it, who put order in place, but he is the one who sustains it. He is the word eternal. There is no beginning to him and there is no end to him. So when you talk about the Logos, you are talking about the creator and the sustainer of everything. It goes so much bigger than just saying the Logos is the word. It's more than the word. Please do me a favor. I promise you, I, I, was, I was blown away when I said, I don't know why I've never done this. Go and do a study on the Logos. Seriously, go and do a study on what the Logos is. It's amazing. And it just, one minute of history, just because it's fun. The the Greeks and and the philosophers of, of Greece were sitting and they were philosophizing about the universe and where it came from and what it was all about and what put it into existence and what maintains it and what holds it. And they had all of these theories and all these philosophies and the word logos originates in there. It talks about creation and sustaining. And they had this idea and they had these theories and they had all of these things and none of them considered the fact that it could be the living God until he presented himself and he said i am the word i was in the beginning i was with god i am god and i am responsible for everything all that they had imagined about what the logos was that which was responsible for the creation of being and the sustaining of it all of a sudden was discovered in the word made flesh who dwelt among us that is the logos That is the Logos. When they talk about the Logos, they're talking about the Word of God, the Creator and the Sustainer of everything.
What God is saying to us is this. When I speak to you about having relationship with you, what I'm inviting you into is to come and participate and see what life is like to journey with the creator and the sustainer of everything. You want some stuff in your life? There's no better place to get it than the creator. There's some stuff wobbling in your life and not happening? There's no place to go. No better place to go than to the one who sustains everything. Talk to him about it. You're touching the very heart and the essence of power. That's what the Logos is. The challenge for me, and I think the challenge for perhaps some other people, is when I was raised, I was raised with the idea that the Logos was the written word of God. Now, that's quite interesting because actually... If you go and study the Bible, the Bible never ever says it is the word of God. It never lays claim to being the Logos, and it never says it's the Rhema. Go and study it. What it says is, these are the words of God that come from the Spirit himself. It's Spirit-directed, Spirit-influenced. These are the Holy Scriptures of God that come from the Spirit. They speak about and testify of him. They are the inerrant words. There is no error in them. Everything is absolutely right. But it's not the Logos. To think that the Logos is on the page is absolutely wrong. The Logos is the power, the energy, the sustainer, the creator. He is much bigger than the book. The book is going to speak to you about the Logos. The the book is going to direct you to the Logos. But if you think that the Logos is on the page, you're wrong. It was a tough thing. Because the problem with it was, when I was younger, because I was taught that it was in there, what I used to do is I used to go in search of the Logos with the idea that if I could really get clear understanding and 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 I could get to a place of, of deep truth, I would encounter the Logos. The fact is this. We spend too much time debating, arguing, and studying rather than pursuing relationship with. I'm not saying don't get into the Word of God. I've never ever said that. I'm saying you should get in there because it's going to testify of him and it's going to talk to you about what he's about. But if all you ever do is live with the word of God, the words of God, and you never pursue the word of God, the logos, the word that was made flesh, the word that was in the beginning, if you don't pursue relationship with him, the challenge with it is I never realize the fullness of what my Christianity is all about. It's in him. The things live and move and have their being. And when I begin to walk in relationship with the greater one, all of a sudden, who he is begins to touch and affect and change and influence who I am. And I begin to realize in that space that I'm walking in a higher dimension. I'm walking in a different place, not because I'm trying to be different, but because I'm realizing some things that he's doing on the inside of me. And I realize that in him, in the creator, in the sustainer, some things are starting to happen in my life. The spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to do these things. Jesus was sitting saying, I want you to know something. The reason that I came is because 
the words that testify of me are going to be fulfilled in me. The reason that he went to Calvary, the reason that he died, the reason that he rose was so that the Spirit of Christ could come and live on the inside of you. And when he lives on the inside of you, what can end up happening is he introduces me to what it is to live from. The greater one lives on the inside of me. The Spirit of God is inside of me, and he has anointed me to do some stuff. He is going to do some things that I'm not supposed to do. Why? Because we journey together. Jesus walked with the Spirit. And because he was walking with the Spirit, what ended up happening is people got to the place where they said, you know what? I want you to, I want to touch the power. What were they looking for? The Logos. They were looking for the Logos. The woman with the issue of blood. She had read about or I don't know what she read about, but she knew about the words of God. She knew about those words that testified of him. And she said, if I could just act on those words, if I could get through the crowd, if I could just touch the Logos, the living word, something will happen in my life. Paul spent his life reading about the words that testified of him until one day the Logos stepped out and interrupted his life and said, here I am. And from that day on, his life took a huge turn. From that day on, he said, you know what? May my words and my preaching not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power and the demonstration of the Spirit. What was he saying? Something happened to me because I realized, I studied, I got involved in the words that testified of him. And there was nothing wrong with that. That probably led him to the place of having the encounter with the Logos. But when he touched the Logos and he touched the power and he touched the Creator, and he touched the sustainer. He said, I don't want to go back and just live without the power anymore because I've touched the Logos. If you don't touch the Logos in your life, you live with dry bones. Too many Christians know so much, but they've never touched the Logos. They've never touched the Logos. Oh, so I've got to jump a little bit. Let me paraphrase this a little bit. Mm, okay. You can know about somebody. You can have knowledge of somebody. You can know about their life. You can know about who they are. It doesn't mean that you know them. Knowing about somebody and knowing the person are not the same thing. Both are good. One is better. When you know him, everything begins to change. My encouragement to you is this. The written words of God are those that speak of him. They testify of who he is. Always let it lead you to the Logos and who he is. This is what 
John chapter 5, verse 37 says, And the Father himself, who sent me, has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures. You search those words that testify of me. For in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. The most wonderful thing is to have the written words of God. To have advertisements on every page that speak about the wonderfulness and the goodness and the glory and the love and the fullness of who God is. But the ads are always designed to introduce you to the Logos. Always. This is where we, this is one of the most treacherous places for deceptions, for deception amongst Christians. Because the problem with it is, when you're dealing with the written word of God, you are dealing with the things of God, and you are dealing with truth. The challenge is this. Many people get so caught up in the written word and what's happening in here. The exploring, the challenging, the studying, the everything else, that what happens is they never go any further. So they never go to the place where they encounter the Logos. And they live in the space. And because they're living in this space, this is not a criticism of them. This is part of what happens when you're deceived. These are people who love God. These are not people who don't love God. The challenge with it is what they're doing is they're living in the space. They're living to the exclusion of relationship with the Logos. And so where I'm living in this space, what ends up happening is I want to take the principles out of Scripture. I want to take those principles from people who've got a testimony. I want to get, a take, get take the principles of people who've lived and, and are testifying of him. This is what I did, and look what happened to me. This is what happened when I did. And we do that this in this day and age as well. It's so funny, we're chatting about this in the pastor's meeting. We have people like who, who sit, I'm one of them. And you know what happens? You, you read somebody's testimony. You read it like a Hagen testimony. And you like, you see what he did. And you see how he took certain principles and he began to apply them in his life. And it worked for him. And things happened and things changed and he was healed. And it was like he lived a phenomenal life. And you think, okay, well, what I need to do is I need to take the principles and I need to begin to apply them. The problem with it is it doesn't matter what you apply, apply as long as you're living to the exclusion of the power and the sustainer being with you, nothing happens. I don't know if you've noticed that in your Christianity. I know everything. I don't know everything. I, I know the principle of confession. And I'm not against the principle. I'm a big fan of it. But you can confess until the cows come home. If you don't do it with the Logos and in relationship with him, nothing happens. How many times have you confessed over stuff and confessed and confessed? And at the end of it, it was like, I don't really understand, but it didn't work. Just maybe the Logos wasn't there. How many times have we done things where it's like, you know, find the scripture and you do this and you stand on it and you better, and you know, nothing happens. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the principles. The principles are absolutely right and the principles are absolutely valid, but the principles only work out of relationship. 
And unless I've got to the place where it's like he and I are moving together, working together, I have relationship with him and I can relate to him. All of a sudden, when I move into that space, things start to happen in my Christianity. Things start to move and things start to change. Outside of that, it's pretty dry. It's pretty dry. It's challenging because I'm doing all the right things. I'm following what the word says, but I'm just not getting the results. And I'm frustrated. And the worst part about it is we don't always want to confess it. Because <laughs> we feel like I'm not really spiritual if I tell anybody else that it's not really working for me. It's okay. I promise you everybody's had that. I don't care what they say. Anybody who's, who's partially truthful will tell you about their journey. You're going to walk a journey to get there. It's okay. It's part of life. What I want to tell you is the Logos is inviting you. The Logos is calling you. The Logos, the Word in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word who took on flesh and dwelt among us. The Word who died and rose again so that you can have the Spirit of Christ dwelling on the inside of you. He puts you in a place where you can sit and say, The spirit of Christ is within me and he has anointed me. Get to know the spirit of Christ inside of you and your life will change. If you want to discover more about him, get into the written word of God. It'll speak to you about him. Get excited about the advertising you see. When you see something that touches a part of you, go to him and sit and say, you know what? This is what it's telling me. How do I make that real in my life? I'm to walk guided by him. It's living, it's dynamic. Because we're born again doesn't mean that we fulfill God's plan for our life. It's no guarantee. We may be born again and we have the spirit of Christ who lives inside of me. But when I discover him and I begin to live from relationship with him, all of a sudden I position myself to walk into his plans and purposes because he leads me He guides me, he directs me, he changes me, he influences me, he transforms me, he creates a future for me, he gives me stepping stones to guide my way, he opens doors for me. I'm living in a different dimension. That is real Christianity. That's what God was looking for. He didn't come to give us a set of rules. He came to live with us again. Can I, this is not, this is for me. If you ever want to test whether you're in religion or in relationship, just ask yourself this question. When was the last time you spoke to me? Because in relationship, he should talk to you every day. It's never a bad thing. My encouragement to you is this. He's always waiting. He's waiting on us. We make the decisions about those things. Can we all stand? Now I'm going to prefix this by saying think because I, I always commit to this and then I get into the week and then God moves in there. I think I'm going to finish this one next week. I think. That's my intention right now, but it's Sunday. And there are a good six days between now and next Sunday. So, Father, I just want to thank you. I thank you, Jesus for who you are. I want to thank you, Jesus, that you are everything. I want to thank you that you were right at the beginning and you are the word eternal.
I want to thank you that you are the life source that brings into creation. You are the life source that sustains all of it. I want to thank you that your intention is to journey out of intimacy with us. I thank you, Father, that as people move through the week, I want to thank you that as they take time to be separate and to be with you, that you begin to reveal yourself to them. I want to thank you for people who live out of dynamic and robust relationships with you. I want to thank you, Father, that the Spirit of Christ dwells inside of us and he has anointed us to fulfill the good news. I thank you for your leading. I thank you for your guiding. I thank you that you reveal your will to us and I thank you that your word is always there to fulfill your will. As we walk into it, as we step into it, as we move with you, I want to thank you, Father, for people who are world changers, people who are not consumed and focused on the problems because they're too busy introducing the solution. Bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.